Welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. Obviously, we cannot do a full study of the baptism of the Spirit as found in the early days of the history of Christianity and the question as to whether it continues today. That would be a lengthy study and require several podcasts. And though our purpose is to study 1 Corinthians 12.13 and its connection with the subject of baptism, it will be necessary to touch on such incidents as the day of Pentecost and other like occurrences. Often this passage is used by both Baptist and Protestants to teach what is considered, quote, spirit baptism, end of quote, or regeneration. Also, in modern times, some have included Romans 6, 3 through 6, Colossians 2, 11 through 13, and Galatians 3, 27, in connection with 1 Corinthians 12, 13, to teach spirit baptism or regeneration. It must be admitted that this subject is not a simple matter, and the interpretation of 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is equally no easy subject. I believe the Baptist B.H. Carroll may have described the complexity of the subject as well as anyone. He said, quote, Indeed, I do not know a subject about which there is so much incorrect thinking and confusion of mind as about the baptism in the Spirit. Not one preacher in a thousand, whether he be ignorant or learned, has any clear conception of the significance of the baptism of the Spirit, end of quote. With that being said, Carroll had his own unique interpretation of this passage. Also, I want to make it clear that I do not think that I have the last word on the subject, and in light of what many sound writers say regarding this text, it is difficult to think it to mean otherwise. Many quotes could be supplied to show this, but we will limit ourselves to two. Thomas Manton, from his works in volume 13, gave the following regarding how believers are united to Christ. Quote, Now a man is united to Christ two ways, one externally, two internally. One externally by baptism and profession, John 15, 2. I do not understand the use of this text here, but that's what he gave. And then internally, when we are engrafted into the mystical body of Christ by his Spirit and have the real effect of our baptism and profession. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. end of quote. Next, we will quote from the Baptist John Gill in his commentary on this verse. For by one Spirit are we all baptized. This is to be understood not of water baptism, for the apostle says, not in one and the same water, but by or in one spirit, 
are we all baptized? The baptism of water and of the Spirit are two different things. There is indeed an allusion made to water baptism, but it is the grace of the Spirit in regeneration and sanctification which is here intended, end of quote. As I said before, many such like quotes can be supplied to support this interpretation. Also, it might seem audacious and prideful to differ with such men of nobility. Nevertheless, allow me to provide some things for your consideration regarding this passage. First, we must consider how the Greek words for baptism were translated and used in the scriptures. The first word, baptizo, is used 80 times in the New Testament, and it is translated baptize 76 times and washed two, and baptized one time, and baptized one time. Baptisma is used 22 times and is always translated baptism. Baptistes is used 14 times and it's always translated Baptist. Bapto is used three times and it's always translated dip. And then the fifth word, baptismos, is used four times and it's translated washing three times and baptism one time. Therefore, the question, when these Greek words are used in connection with the ordinance of baptism, almost in every place it refers to water baptism. To my knowledge, the major exceptions are 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Romans 6, 3 through 4, Colossians 2, 12, and possibly 3, 27. Now, we're talking about these words as they're connected with water baptism, not as they're connected with suffering. In other words, Christ spoke about being baptized in his sufferings. <clears throat> My question is, why should these four passages mean something different from the rest of the New Testament? Even when the words referring to washing Water was involved. Obviously, when the words were used symbolically or metaphorically regarding suffering, the meaning would have no bearing on the rite of baptism other than that of immersion or being overwhelmed. What is it about these passages, that is, the ones listed above, that would cause the reader immediately to think the Lord was talking about something different from the overall use of the words. Why should we immediately think of being baptized by the Spirit or even with the Spirit when reading these verses regarding baptism when all others have to do with water? The second consideration is the use of the Greek word baptizo in this letter written to the congregation at Corinth. None of the other Greek words for baptism were used in 1 Corinthians. Only this one word, baptizo. 
This word is used 10 times in this book. In chapter 1, it is used 6 times, and it is obvious that it refers to water baptism. 1 Corinthians 10.2 is clearly used in a metaphorical way when referring to the Israelites being baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. However, it fits the picture of our, of our baptism, that is, water baptism. When we are baptized in water, we are submitting our lives to the Lord as our deliverer and leader. So likewise did the Israelites when following Moses out of Egypt. The type and analogy matches in both cases. In chapter 15, in verse 29, baptizo is used two times. Regardless of the interpretation of this difficult passage, I believe everyone agrees that this passage is not related to spirit baptism, but to that of water baptism. Therefore, why should the word for baptism in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen? refer to something different from the other uses of it in this epistle. What did Paul say, or how did he use the Greek word baptizo to cause the saints at Corinth to think differently about this word than how it was used throughout the epistle? It is generally considered when interpreting Scripture that we are to let the Scriptures interpret itself and that we are to interpret in light of the clear teaching of the Scriptures and not build doctrines or form opinions on that which is unclear. Unless the Scriptures give a clear understanding that the Word is used differently from the clear usage throughout the writing, then we should not read something else into the text. A third question to consider regarding baptism is the how. In other words, how is baptism performed? On the surface, this question will likely appear to be trite. However, I assure you it is of extreme importance. When baptism is performed, there must be the subject, who is baptized, the administrator, who is baptizing, and the element into what is the subject baptized. Generally, baptism is performed by the believer being immersed in water by the minister. The believer is the subject, the element is water, the minister is the administrator. But what about spirit baptism? Who is the administrator? And what or who is the element and who is the subject? On the day of Pentecost, when it is generally believed by all that there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit, we find all three parts of baptism, the subject, the element, the administrator. The about 120, that is, as shown in Acts one fifteen, were in one place, Acts two one, 
The Spirit came and filled the house. Acts 2.2 2. After the people from the various countries heard the Spirit-filled people speak the wonderful works of God, some asked what it all meant. Acts 2.11-13 Others accused them of being drunk with wine. Peter addressed the crowd and said that it was a fulfilling of the prophet Joel. After quoting the prophecy of Joel and preaching other things concerning the prophecy and the work of Christ, Peter said, Therefore, that is Christ, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath set forth this which ye now see and hear. Acts 2.33 Therefore Christ, the administrator, baptized the believers in the Holy Spirit. Even John Wycliffe connected the order of baptism of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost to that of water baptism. Notice this from Henry Danvers, who was a Baptist, in his book, A Treatise of Baptism, that was printed in 1674. He stated, he was giving some of Wycliffe's beliefs. He said, that is Wycliffe said, or, or Danvers quoting Wycliffe, Quote, Therefore, faith and repentance, or regeneration, goes first. Baptism of water follows after, in the order to baptism of the Spirit, as Acts 2.38, end of quote. There is much discussion as to whether what took place at Samaria, that is Acts 8.14-17, at Caesarea in Cornelius' house, Acts 10, 44-47, or at Ephesus, Acts 9, 16. Was the same thing as on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. In reality, our study is not to answer the question regarding those incidents or of such or if such continues to happen today. However, assuming for argument's sake, they are one and the same, the pattern is identical. Christ is the administrator. Believers are the subject. The, 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 excuse me, the Holy Spirit is the element. However, this is not the pattern that is presented regarding spirit baptism with 1 Corinthians 12:13 Since our time is up for today the Lord willing we will continue our study uh, in our next lesson Please continue to be in prayer as we move forward with the subject Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.